Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. I want to begin by thanking, as always, our very generous sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of David Grossman. Our learning is Le'ilu Nishmas, David Ben-Menachem Monash. This morning's shir is also sponsored anonymously, Le'ilu Nishmas, Esther Malka Bas Tzvi. Thank you for your generosity. The Neshama should have an Aliyah. We, our schedule was a little off. I wasn't supposed to give shir this morning. We are giving it. If you want to know, are we on, are we off? Where can I find the link? How can I listen? Where is bonus material? How can I get the write-up of the Parsha Perspective? Join the WhatsApp group. It's all in there. You'll know exactly what's going on. You can join the WhatsApp group at rabbiefremgoldberg.org slash WhatsApp, rabbiefremgoldberg.org slash WhatsApp, and you'll be able to be kept up to date about everything. This will give the privilege of learning and reading Parsha's Beshalach, page 366, in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Vahi Beshalach Paros Ha'amba L'Nachem Elokim Derech Eretz Pleshtim, when Paro sent out the Jewish people, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Plishtim. It was near, it was too close. Kodesh Baruch the Almighty was worried. The Jewish people will panic. They'll be afraid. And they will return, they'll reconsider, and they will return to Mitzrayim. It's a beautiful uh, observation of Rav Yechezkel Abramsky. Yechezkel Abramsky has the following insight or observation. We know, we've discussed previously, and at length, we won't now, but the Gemara at the beginning of Sota tells us that making a shidduch, bringing a boy and a girl, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife together, and living in harmony, and being able to build a beautiful home built in Shalom Bayis, is as difficult as Kriyas Yamsuf. It's incredibly challenging. How do you bring them together? And why that mushal? Why not compare that challenge to another miracle, to one of the other of the ten plagues, to standing at Har Sinai, to some other extraordinary event in, in our Torah, in history. Why specifically Kikriyas Yamsuf? The Maral gives his interpretation, his answer, we've quoted it many times, and there are others that are given. Rabbi Chesk Labramsky says, what's going on here at this Pasuk? Kodesh Baruch says, he took them out, he did not lead them the most direct way. We know that the shortest and straightest journey between any two points is a straight line. He took them in a circuitous route. Why in a circuitous route? Because we were afraid we were going to go back. So he's because Rechez Kalbramsky points out, We came to Yamsuf in a circuitous route. We didn't go the most direct path. And in the world of Shiduchim, people don't go the simple, most direct path. They make it unnecessarily complicated. They add layers of complication, layers of challenges and questions. They compound the issue, and we take a circuitous route instead of the most direct route. Halavai, we would have taken the most direct route. We'd get there a lot faster. We'd get there a lot faster. So, Vahi B'Shalach Paro, Paro sends out, Paro sends out the Jewish people. Elokim. He sends out the, uh, the Jewish people. And what happens? Hashem turns the people towards the way of the wilderness. The Jewish people were chamushim. What does chamushim mean? Rashi quotes two interpretations. Either it means that we were armed, or it means chamushim, only 20% left. 80% died in Makas Choshech. 80% panicked. That uh, 80% did not want to leave. They were used to, they were accustomed to that life, and even though there was a much better life waiting for us, that is the human psyche. We get so habituated by what we know, we're afraid of change and something new, we will tolerate and we will live with something oppressive and bad because it's what we know more than turning to something that we don't know. So Chamushim, Chamushim died. I got a call late last night from a nephew who panicked. He was trying to fall asleep at night and he was thinking about the parsha he learned in school and he said, what will happen when Mashiach comes? Will 80% of his friends not come to Israel and they're going to die here in America? Uncle Ephraim needed to clarify. So I said, no, when Mashiach comes, everyone's going to want to go. Nobody's going to stay behind. It's going to be great for everybody. Don't worry, your friends are all coming with you. You don't have to worry, you're going to lose 80% of your friends. What children think about while they fall asleep? The parsha. Halavai. Chamushim alu b'nei Yisrael me'eretz Mitzrayim. So, Rav Yosef Dov Alevi Salavechik, the Rosh of Brisk, there are many named after the Beis Alevi, but he, uh, he says that v'chamushim, the word chamushim, the fact that we were armed, what's the next pasuk? V'yikach Moshe es 
Atzmos Yosef Imo. Moshe fulfilled his promise. Moshe had promised Yosef, we won't leave you. You will not languish. You will not be buried in Egypt in perpetuity. We're going to take you with us. Moshe took not only Atzmos Yosef, we've learned previously, Atzmos Yosef. More important than they carried the bones, they carried the essence, the lesson of Yosef. Yosef's tenacity, Yosef's resilience, Yosef's faith, Yosef's fearlessness. Yosef, who though he was in Mitzrayim, a foreign land, never became corrupt and never became assimilated. They carried not only atzmos, the bones of Yosef, they carried the atzmos, they carried the essence of Yosef with them. So he says, that's what it means, chamushim. Chamushim, what were they armed with? Where'd they get the weapons? Where'd they, what were they armed with? You know what they were armed with? Atzmos Yosef. The Jewish people's survival throughout our history against all odds and against systematic attempts to eliminate us, we've been armed at times. No, no time more armed than we are today. Our holy and our sacred IDF, our soldiers who protect Jews around the world, we've never been armed better than we are today. And certainly that's important and we daven for tzal all the time. But what is the greatest weapon the Jewish people have? In what way are we the most armed? Chamushim with Atzmus Yosef. The fact that we carry the legacy of our ancestors, the fact that we have the schus of those who come before us, the fact that we walk in their way and we follow in their footsteps and we embrace their legacy, that is the greatest way we're armed. If we were to abandon Torah, if we were to abandon our ancestors, if we were to abandon our Mesora, we could have all the weapons in the world. We would never survive. We would never be here. We'd never triumph. What is the secret of our survival? How are we chamushim? Because vayikach, we take atzmos, atzmos Yosef. We have to always remember who we are and where we come from. That is the source of our strength. That is the source of our strength. That is the source of our resilience. That is the source of, of who we are, of who we are. So the Jewish people are, are leaving. And what happens? Let's go to Perak Yud. Gimel, Perak Yudalad, rather, Pasuk. Gimel, turn the page. Hashem says, speak to the children, let them turn back and encamp in this specific place. And now all of a sudden, Paro is speaking. Jewish people have left. Ten plagues are over. Kodesh Baruch Hu took us out. Paro is in pursuit. And Paro is speaking. Paro says, they're imprisoned in the land, the wilderness will lock them in. The wilderness will lock them in. We're not done with Paro's heart becoming hardened. And foolishly, after suffering endlessly, he still thinks he could turn it around. So he pursues the Jewish people. Hashem is not done yet. He says, you think I'm finished? You think I'm done? You've not seen nothing yet. Wait till you see what I still have in store. So he hardens Paro's heart, and he hardens the heart of the Egyptians, and they pursue. They pursue. He's told that they ran away. And they say, what did we do? So what do they do? They get their chariots, they get their army, and they take... This huge amount, and they pursue. And now, who is pursuing the Jews? It doesn't say. What does it say? I would like to humbly suggest, in original thought, that maybe the Torah is telling us, it's not the Mitzrim. You see, the Jewish people at this point are fleeing from two things the actual Egyptians, the physical Egyptians, their persecutors, their oppressors, whom they are afraid are still running after them. They're worried they're not yet done, but they also have a slave mentality. They're a slave nature, nation. And they've spent 400 years, if you count all the way back from the first arrival, but 210 years of slavery, and they've become assimilated in their values. They're on the 49th level of Tum of Mitzrayim. They've become corrupt and contaminated. They've lost their identity and their way. So what are they running away from? Not only the physical Egyptians, they're running away not only from the Mitzrim, they're running away from Mitzrayim. They're running away from the culture and the attitude and the ideology and the philosophy. They're not only trying to flee from the Mitzrim, 
They're trying to flee from Mitzrayim. Vayudafu Mitzrayim. It's not only Egypt running after them, it's Mitzrayim. We, we don't have physical oppressors. Sure, there's a rise of anti-Semitism. On February 12th, we're going to have a fascinating live debate between Ben Shapiro and Yair Rosenberg on the subject of anti-Semitism coming from different angles. Surely we have to address anti-Semitism and what's going on. However, we are physically free. Baruch Hashem, Bli Ayin Hara, we're not persecuted and oppressed. But you know what? Vayir Defu, America. Vayir Defu, the Western world. We are observant, assimilated Jews. And we have to worry, we have to fear, even those who are fully observant are assimilated in so many ways in so many of our values, our priorities, our lives and our lifestyles. And the ostentationists or some of the, um, or some of the, the way that we're living, some of the superstition we'll come back to. I don't know how many of you have yet today. Today is Tuesday, Yom Shlishi. How many have said Parshas Haman today? How many emails did you get that if you want Parnasa, say Parshas Haman today? You should all be at work, not the Parshas here. If you want a schooler for Parnasa, you should be at work. You're retired. It's okay if you're here, you're retired. If you're working, and you're, I don't know if your boss knows that you're here or not. So, schoolers, following silly, I'm not saying it's a silly superstition, we'll go through it in a moment, but embracing silly superstitions is not our philosophy, it's not our way. That's Vayidafu Mitzrayim. Shem took us out of Egypt. Egypt was a place of magic, sorcery, and superstition. We don't believe in red bendels. That's Darche Amori. That's silly superstition. We don't believe in Narashkai. We believe in the Rebbeinu We live in the Eibishter. We live in our Kodesh Baruch Hu, the Beshefer. We lean and we surrender and we submit exclusively to Him. He gave us, we are an Am Segula. We'll read next week. We're an Am Segula. We are a nation of Segulas. What does that mean? What does it mean to be a nation of Segulas? Things that you get in emails? We have 613 Segulas. I saw yesterday on the highway, I was driving, you know the billboard announces the, the Mega Millions? I don't know if it changed already, but the billboard on the highway, the Mega Millions, at least yesterday, was a Yid's got to win it. $613 million. So some of the billboard. Mega Millions. Mega Millions is $613. $613 million. Whoever you are, whenever you win, Boca Raton Synagogue, Yeshiva, South Florida, don't forget. 613. But we have 613 schoolers. 613, we're in Amsegula. Not 613 red strings. Kodesh Baruch Hu took us out of Mitzrayim. And yet, Vayidafu, not only are the Mitzrim running after us, Vayidafu Mitzrayim, the mentality of superstition, the mentality of assimilation, of culture, of a foreign culture. We're running and we're fleeing from both. But let's go back. Let's go back to Pasa Gimel. V'yomar Paro, Paro says to whom? V'yomar Paro le? Levnei Yisrael. Amar Paro levnei Yisrael. What's funny about that? They're not there. What do you mean, Paro speaking to the Jewish people? Jewish people are out. They're gone. So this bothered Rashi. V'yamar Paro, Yisrael, Rashi. Not Livnei Yisrael. Paro's not speaking to the Jewish people. Le can sometimes mean Al B'nei Yisrael. Paro is speaking about the Jewish people. Rashi explains not to, because they've left Egypt. But Livnei Yisrael is talking about the Jewish people. But look at the Targum Yonason. Targum Yonason translates differently and says, Paro is speaking not about, he's speaking to. How could you speak to people who are already gone? They're not there. So Targum Yonason teaches, Livnei Yisrael, there were two Jews who were left in Egypt. The 80% died, they were buried Makas Choshech. There were two living Jews left behind. Who were they? Dasan Va'aviram. Dasan Va'aviram refused to leave with the rest of Am Yisrael. These two had a long history of rebelliousness, a long history of taking the other side on any issue. We have four examples of Dasan Va'aviram being contentious, being adversarial, always taking the other side. So when the Jewish people left, they said, enjoy, we're staying back. Where are the four examples? When two Jews were fighting in the beginning of Pasha Shmos, and Moshe says, Rasha, lama sakareyecha. These were the two Jews, Dasan Va'aviram. They were the ones who revealed that Moshe had killed the Mitzri. Number two, 
Two people who left Mon for the next day, who were trying to prove that you can save, you can leave over, they were antagonizing Hashem and Moshe. Who were they? Dosan Vaviram. Number three, Meraglim came back with their report in Eretz Yisrael. It says, Who were the Isha al You got it? Who were they? Dosan Vaviram. And when Korach begins his rebellion against Moshe and the Jewish people, who were the first to join? Dosan Vaviram. So, we know, Dasan Vaviram, some of the stories I just mentioned happened where? In the desert. If they stayed back, so much so that Paro speaking to them in our parsha, had they get out? So the answer is, says the Maral Diskin in our parsha. thank you to Revel Yada for sharing it, the Maral Diskin in our parsha says, how did the Jews survive Makas Choshech? If they weren't going to leave, if they were such antagonists and adversaries, such cynics and rebellious, why didn't they die in Makas Choshech? And if they stayed back, how'd they escape? How'd they get up? How'd they catch up? How did they find themselves in the midbar with the rest of B'nai Yisrael? Isn't it amazing we read the same parsha, and every year there's something new to learn? So much that you didn't know you didn't see. I'm going to share with you wild stuff today from our Eltzer Plos Torah. I'm going to share with you great stuff. So the Maral Diskin says, you know why they didn't die? He says there's a fifth story of Dasan Va'aviram. There's a fifth story. Dasan Va'aviram were the police officers who supervised the work of the Jews in Mitzrayim. Because they were such outliers, they were selected, they were chosen, they were recruited by Paro and his men to essentially be the kapos. They were the Jewish policemen who supervised the Jewish people. And when Moshe and Aaron told Paro, let our people go, and Paro doubled down on the work, and he increased and he intensified the torture, and he told Dasan Vaviram, anyone who doesn't match up, anyone who doesn't, do their workload, you have to beat them. Dasan Vaviram refused. He said, look, we might be cynics and scoffers. We might run the breakaway. We might be the rebellious ones, you know, but to raise a hand against a fellow Jew, we draw the line there. We would never raise a hand against a fellow Jew, never. So Dasan Vaviram look at Paro and say, no chance. Maybe you look at us as the outliers, the outsiders, because we positioned ourselves as the cynical adversaries. We're not going to anti-establishment, anti-authority, and we are. But that doesn't mean we'd ever raise a hand against a fellow Jew. So when push came to shove, Dasan Va'aviram had the Jewish people's back. They would not allow the Jewish people to be hurt. They would not hurt them. Says the Maral Diskin, in that merit, despite the other four stories, despite the other terrible things they did, the fact that they drew a line and refused to raise their hand against a fellow Jew, they did not perish, they did not die in Makas Bechoros. Why? Because they practiced a key Jewish attribute and trait. They were no say ba'olam chavero, they had empathy. They, they were aggravators and agitators, but they also were empathetic to the plight of the Jewish people. Okay, so we know they survived Makas Choshech. How'd they get out? How'd they catch up? How do they find themselves in the desert? So the Berman Chaim says one step further. He says, there was a second splitting of the sea. It's Meduyak and the Psukim. The sea didn't only split once for Gans Kla Yisrael, for two more people who were left behind, it split a second time. It says, first The Jews entered the Yamsuf when it was still a sea. And only later did it become a Yabasha when it split. That's referring to Dasan Va'aviram, who entered the sea when it was still dry land. So the Jews entered it when it was a sea. It split and it was dry land. And then it says they entered again when it was dry land. Who entered the second time when it was dry land? That was Dasan Va'aviram. That was Dasan Va'aviram. So you see this very powerful message. Even no matter how poorly behaved one is, no matter how far they've fallen, when you have a line, when push comes to shove, you have the back of a fellow Jew, you stand up for a brother, you refuse to not only hurt them, but to allow them to be hurt. When you feel the pain of a fellow Jew, then you are still redeemable. When is a Jew irredeemable? When they can hurt a fellow Jew. When they can stand idly by while a fellow Jew is being hurt. At that point, they've become irredeemable. But Dasan Va'aviram remain redeemable, and what makes them still redeemable, says the Maral Diskin, because they drew that line and they refused to be accomplices to Paro and to hurt or allow the Jewish people to be, to be hurt. Okay, Perakidal Pasuk Yud Gimel. I want to get a lot in, so let's go. Let's move. Kadesh Baruch Hu assures 
You ready for this Otsar Plos HaTorah? Grab onto your seatbelt. First we have So we know from this Pasuk, what you're seeing right now in Egypt, you will not see again. You will not see again. What is the Pasuk telling us? Don't fear, stand fast. You're about to see Hashem come through for you today. As you have seen Egypt today, you will not see them ever again. The Torah in three places says, you're not allowed to live in Egypt. We spoke about this last week, I'm gonna tell you an amazing pshat. So the Sefer Kaftor of Aferach, Rav Shtori HaParchi, he says something nifla. He quotes that he heard me pi Rabbi Shmuel, the grandson of the Rambam. How is it that the Rambam went back and lived in Egypt? How could it be? Torah in three places says you're not allowed to go back to Egypt. And here the Torah is telling us why. You can't go back and live in Egypt because what you've seen today, you're not going to see again. You're done. You should never have to look into the face of an Egyptian again, never live in Egypt again. So how is it his aid that the Rambam lived in Egypt? And he quotes, this is the Rambam's Einikel, his grandson quotes, that the Rambam used to sign off his letters. He would say, HaKosef HaOver B'choyom Shloshalavin. The author who every day violates three biblical prohibitions. Torah in three places says you can't live in Egypt. Leave, live in Egypt. The Rambam lived in Egypt. He saw, what a signature. Wow, what a signature. So the, the Kaftor of Aferach says to this Rebbe Shmuel, the grandson, Maybe the Rambam didn't violate anything by living in Mitzrayim. First of all, he was honest. He had to live there. He was a doctor, a consultant of the sultan. He had no choice. He couldn't get up and leave. He had to live there. Number two, the Torah, and this is one of the Hatayim. We once gave a Shabbos Hagadol Drosha about this. If you email me, I'll send you several dozen pages of Baron Makomos of exactly this question. The Rambam is not the only one. As recently as Ravavadya Yosef. Ravavadya sat on the basin of Cairo, of Mitzrayim. How did Ravavadya live in Mitzrayim? Had the Beis Yosef live in Mitzrayim? Had the Rambam live in Mitzrayim? What happened to the prohibition? You're not allowed to live in Mitzrayim. So some Gedolim say, you're allowed to go back to Egypt if you're not going to live, if you're going for business. Some say you're allowed to live in Egypt if you're going for a holy reason, you're serving the community, you're doing outreach, you're a Jew, you're allowed to live outside, you can go in Egypt. But one of the answers they give is, when the Torah says you're not allowed to go, Shem says, here's the circuitous route I took you out, don't ever take this route to go back. But if you go a different route, you're allowed to return. So specifically, the prohibition is to this route. If you took another route, you'd allow it to go back. Now, as it happens to be, we have no evidence the Rambam actually signed a letter that way. We have original letters of the Rambam. We have no evidence that he actually signed a letter. There's the tradition. The tradition itself is meaningful because it tells us that the Rambam grappled. He felt a tension. How could he live there when the Torah says don't live there? But did he really sign his letters that way or not? It seems that he didn't. This is a much bigger topic about living. Otsar Pelosa Torah has a long, long essay about long entry specifically about this. Why the Alexander Shomitraim, Alexandria, did it suffer because Jews returned? They shouldn't have returned. How did that happen? What happened? There's a lot in here about, about that. Perak Yedalat Pasuk Chav Aleph. Turn to page 372. Torah tells us, Kadim Oz Kol Moshe stretched out his hand over the sea. Hashem moved the sea with a strong east wind all night. He turned the sea to damp land and the water split. The water split. Rabbeinu Bachaya, Rabbeinu Bachaya, Rabbeinu Bachaya Ibn Pakuda, the great Spanish 12th century commentator. In his Haktam, in his introduction to our Pasha, he says, Davar Nifla, he says something wild. If you were responsible, today we have incredible technology. So let's say someone tasked you, design, or if you had the skills, engineer and build, 3D, put on those goggles, and let's live like we were a member of Kal Yisrael. Can you live through Kriyas Yamsuf? I saw last week Mishpacha Magazine had an article that a group of Haredi women from Israel went to Auschwitz for the first time ever. It closed down for three days to allow them to video. They've never allowed a video crow in. And they videoed, not 3D, what do they call it? Virtual reality. So in posterity, people will be able to take a virtual reality tour walking through Auschwitz. 
survivors took that tour and it was so real. They experienced trauma from it. They identified the barrack. I remember standing there. I remember this happening there. So imagine someone could create a virtual 3D tour and we would be able to experience Kriyas Yamsuf. How would you design it? What would it be like? Had the water split? All at once, slowly? One wall, two walls, how many paths through? How many times? You'd have to learn up the sugya. You'd have to go through our passion, go through it well, to know what happened. So Rabbeinu Bachaya says something wild. He says, you know how the sea split? You took a step, it withdrew. Took another step, it withdrew more. It didn't split and you saw the clear path all the way through to the end. You didn't get to see the light coming out the tunnel on the other side. For every courageous step Kalah Yisrael took, it withdrew and it split one more step. You ever hear that before? I never heard that. I never knew that. I'm glad I came today. Rabbeinu Bachaya says, <laughs> As they took a step, they saw it split. Just like a person flees from someone else, the sea split, the sea fled, the sea ran. With each step the Jews took, the sea ran away from the Jews in its path. So Rabbeinu Bachaya says, why did Kashbarka do it this way? Why did he do it this way? Because if you didn't do it this way, it took incredible, it took extraordinary faith to take the first step. But once you took the first step and you saw the clear path, how much faith did it take? But if every step you didn't know that it was going to continue to split, then each step took enormous continued faith. Ma'at ma'at. haman just like the man didn't fall a week at a time, a month at a time, a Costco size at a time, but it fell just that day for that day at a time, just that day for that day at a time, all you knew was you had a meal for today. What will you eat tomorrow? I don't know. I just know my meal for today. So similarly, the sea split one step at a time. So if you're designing the virtual reality 3D, and whoever runs with the idea, I don't need a commission, I'm good to go, I'm happy you're doing it, go run with it whoever runs with the idea. But according to, you're going to have to have different versions. Press one for Rabbeinu Bechaya. And that will be, as you walk with your virtual reality, the sea splits as you go. Sifse Kohen ala Torah, however, writes, disagrees with Rabbeinu Bechaya and says it's split entirely all at once. Now, if it split one step at a time, what would you be afraid every step you took? It's going to come crashing on my head. We're going to drown. There's no way out. This is not going to work. I'm not going to get all the way to the end. What happens if I see a path only to get halfway through and then I turn around and it now closed in behind me? We're done. We're going to drown. We don't want Klai Yisrael to be afraid and fear. So therefore, Sifsky Cohen disagrees and says it was open all the way. I was thinking this machlokas, these different views, are really relevant to our lives. Sometimes the Kodesh creates the clear path. I understand what I need to do, where I need to go, how I'm going to get there. Thank you, Hashem. And sometimes the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, take one step at a time. I know you don't see the path. I know you don't see how you get there. I know you don't see this coming to an end. But do what you have to do today. Just today. Today's treatment. Take today's treatment. Today's doctor's visit. Today. Today's fun. You have a campaign. $18 million. You have no idea you're going to get there. Today's meetings. Today's donation. Today's commitment. Each day. Sometimes whatever it is in life, whatever challenge, whatever opportunity, whatever you're going through in life, sometimes you have the clear path. If you win the $613 million, you got the clear path. You know exactly how you're going to get there in the campaign. And sometimes, lat, lat, you take a step and Hashem makes the water go back. You take another step, He makes the water go back. Sometimes the man falls all at once. You win the lottery. And sometimes the man falls day by day. I don't know how this ends. I don't know where this goes. I'm going to work on my relationship today. I'm going to work on Parnassah today. I'm going to work on the health today. Sometimes it's Rabbeinu Bachaya, and sometimes it's the Sifse Kohen. Sometimes you see all the way through. Sometimes it's step by step. These are two different pshatim. They don't necessarily disagree, but these two interpretations correlate with the two types of experiences we have in life. He then goes on and quotes, we're not going to go through this, that the sea actually split not only two times. He quotes Dasan Vaviram, but he quotes it split three times. Maybe a third time the sea split. We're not going to go through this right now. He quotes that we know exactly where it split. The Medrash has a Chiddush. The Talmud of the Ramami Pano, 
Belezer Nachman Pua, who was a Talmud of the Rami Pano, writes, Davar Nifla, Shemakam Nikra Yamsu, the Nisra, Daim Nikar Arhayom. The exact spot that the sea split, we still know where that is and we can identify it until today. Rabbi Aaron of Bells says, not only is that place noticeable, but you know when Klai Yisrael came into Eretz Yisrael and we passed over the Yardin, the, the Yardin split. The sea split into two walls, or maybe 12 walls, a lane for each tribe, but the Yardin only split into one wall, just split entirely, one side. But it also split for us to cross into Eretz Yisrael. We put the two stones that had the whole Torah on them. We'll read later in the Torah. So Rabbi Aaron Belzer writes that we not only know where the sea split, the Yamsuf, we also know where the Yardin split. It was a miraculous place as a person would make a bracha if they visited there today, but we're not going through that. Perak Yudal Pasach Chavches. 374. We are flying today. So what's going on? The salvation. We made our way through the sea. Klaisro miraculously made it to the other side. And what happened to the waters? They came crashing down. And who survived? There remained not a one of them. It sounds like from the Pasuk, who survived? Gurnished. Sounds like nobody survived. Not one. Nobody survived. I'm going to tell you something unbelievable. Ad echad. Ad echad. The Medrash Agada here says, you ready? It's a good thing you're all sitting down. If you're driving and you're listening live, pull over. Lo bahem ad echad zeparo. Shinemar mehem velomes. Kedei lasapra gedulasa shalakadosh It sounds like nobody survived, but the Medrash interprets ad echad to mean except for one. And who was the one who survived? Paro. Now that you've heard, Paro survived. And why did Paro survive? It's sort of his punishment. There are some people so bad that it would actually be kind to execute them. We're going to make you live and we're going to make you suffer. And you're going to suffer the rest of your life. You're going to suffer in solitude, solitary confinement. You're going to suffer in punishment. Or you're going to suffer simply by watching the people that you tried to exterminate and extinguish, watch them blossom and flourish. Hitler killed himself, Yemach Shemo V'Zichro. But had he survived, it could be that the greater punishment to execute again would have been to make him sit and watch and subscribe to Times of Israel, Jerusalem Post, to watch all the patents and technology, to see Israel survive and thrive and blossom. Maybe that would have been a bigger punishment. So the Torah says, Ad Echad, sounds like not one survived, but there was one, says the Medrash. The one was Para. Why? The Sapra Gidulas Oshakadish Baruchu. Let him tell the story of Hashem's greatness. That Moshe said, let my people go. Say, I refused and I learned the lesson. It all began, he says, Anochi When the story begins, he says, I don't know a God. By the end, he'll become God's spokesman. Oh, I came to learn God. I was introduced to God. And the Das, the Kenim Balei Tosfos, Lo nishar ad echad, Echad nishar vehu paro, Echad mehem lo nosar, Mikol amo, Of the rest of the nation, but paro survived. That you heard. That you don't have to be sitting down for. But the Pirkei de Rebbe Liezer goes further. You ready? Not the Pirkei de Rebbe Liezer, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Pirkei de Rebbe Liezer says, so he survived. Good, what happened to him? Where'd he go? What do we hear about him? What happened to Paro? Rabbi Nechunya ben Akana Omer, Teide l'chakoach ha-tshuva, bo re'e mi Paro melech metzrayim, shemarad b'tzur elyon harbe ma'od, Paro did shuva. Even Paro. Paro, a heinous tyrant, an evil, wicked oppressor of the Jewish people who led a genocide against our people. He did shuva. And he did shuva with the very same language that he had originally sinned. He began the story by saying, Who's God? Why do I have to listen to his voice? Who's God that I should listen to him? And he ends by saying, And Hashem saved him from the corpses. He survived. He survived the Yamsuf. Where did he go next, Paro? He couldn't go back to Mitzrayim. He went and he became the king of Nineveh. 
And the people of Nineveh were evil. We know they were evil. Nineveh was an evil place. Para was in Inve when Yonah came to prophesize the doom and gloom that would be visited upon them. Paro, whose heart was no longer being hardened, now his softened heart heard the message. Paro led this movement of tshuva, of repentance, said whoever does not return in their ways should be executed. And that's the story of Paro and Ninveh. Sheparo halach l'ninveh umalach sham. The medr seichel tov. Shemalach elas paro menayam v'olich l'ninveh. K'deshi yisapar kochuk v'rosh v'lakadosh baruchu. V'yischabet shmo yisbaruch b'chol ha'olam. Umalach sham paro. Paro was a melach there for 410 years. Divrei yam m'shal Moshe Rabbeinu kasav shemalach masha. He was a king there for many, many years. You ready for this? Not that, we're not done yet. It's not just that Ad Echad means that Paro survived. It's not just that Paro survived. He did Shuva, he became the king of Ninveh. And when Yonah came to tell Ninveh to change their ways, he heard and led this movement. The Sifse Kohen al Torah Pashas Kiseitse writes, Dover Chidish Upele, Shematza Kosov, Sha'acha Shemal Paro al Ninveh, Vinive Yonah al Ninveh, Asa Paro Tshuva, Vinizgayer. Paro became Jewish. He converted and became a Jew. You ready? So when the Torah says in three places, don't aggravate, don't aggrieve an Egyptian. Don't hate the Mitzri. Because ultimately, Paro became a ger in his new land of Nineveh. Is that wild? Wild. Wild stuff. Don't tell my nephew. I don't know what hell he'll deal with that, what he'll wake up, his nightmares, how he'll process that. I need a little time to process that. Not only did Paro survive, not only did Paro do tshuva, Paro became a ger and joined the Jewish people. And that's why it says, Lo sesayv mitri balashin yachid. Not Lo Sesayv Mitzrim, Lo Sesayv Mitzri, or Shabbos Agadol Joshua. Ki Ger who is that Mitzri? The one singular Mitzri who survived, who became a Ger? It's Paro. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Now, in that Shabbos Agadol Joshua, I spoke about, as I said, I'm happy to share the Maramakomos, but a Tshuva, the head of a Beisdin, it wasn't in Tel Aviv, but in Eretz Yisrael, the head of a Beisdin had a Shaila. It was the 1950s or 60s, and a Nazi came and wanted to convert to Judaism. A repentant Nazi. Someone who admittedly was a member of the Nazi party and had functioned as a Nazi and had participated in the heinous crimes of the Nazis, then came and wanted to convert to the Jewish people. And he writes a whole tshuva. What's the halacha? We understand that instinctively, intuitively, morally, we're repulsed by the idea that someone with blood on their hands, could we forgive them? Could we wipe their slate clean? Could we erase their past to allow them to not only be granted forgiveness, but to convert and join the Jewish people? But are there grounds to refuse? Maybe instinctively, morally, we're repulsed, but are there halachic grounds? Are there sources to refuse? He doesn't, I don't believe he quotes this but this is fascinating towards in that conversation that maybe Paro himself converted. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Paragyudalad Pasuk Lamed Dalad. Lamed Aleph. Vayar Yisrael sayal gdolash yasa shem b'tzayim vayiru ames Hashem vayaminu b'ashem of Moshe Avdel. We say this every day in our davening that the Jewish people saw the yalek dola that Hashem did on Mitzrayim vayiru ha'am. The people revered Hashem. They had faith in Hashem and so there are a few troubling parts of this Pasuk, which we're not going to get into now. One is, what do you mean, Uve Moshe Avdo? Pasuk is equating faith in Hashem and faith in Moshe. Had the Torah not said it, it almost sounds heretical. Could they cast such level of faith? We have faith in people? We don't believe in that. Last week we spoke about all people are equal. 
even though Moshe is the Avan Avim, and one of the Yid Gimel, one of the 13 principles of faith, is to believe in Moshe's superiority in some ways, but ultimately he's human and fallible. We do not ascribe godly qualities to any human being. So what do you mean they had faith in Hashem and faith in Moshe? So there's some who say that this is the Erev Rav, that in fact the Erev Rav misplaced their faith in people. And we see this too, today. Tzadikim, Gedolim, Rebbes, Rebetzins, we believe in the power of holy people as role models, as inspiration, the power of their bracha. There's a long precedent and we believe in it. But the moment we deify them, the moment we dive into them, to put a picture of them in our sitter, in our talis bag, in front of us while we daven, that, that's the work, that's the act of an Erev Rav. We don't believe in that. That's heretical. They are to help us. They are the lawyer who has greater connection and familiarity and friendship with the judge. So we invoke their relationship to help us. But we're not davening to them. Ultimately, they're not the judge. So Khalila. So some say, who were the ones who equated them? This is the work of the Eir of Rav. Others say, no, Moshe Avdo means that Moshe, it's not Vayamina Bashem Uve Moshe. What do we have faith in? Moshe Avdo. Our faith is that Moshe was a loyal, faithful, trustworthy, reliable Eved Hashem. That Moshe, in fact, was the Eved Hashem. But there's another question on this Pasuk that I'm not going to give an answer to, but discuss. Vayar Yisrael Hashem, what happens? First, sorry, go back a Pasuk. Vayosha Hashem Bayomahu as Yisrael. What came first? First, Vayaminu or Vayosha? Vayosha. Shouldn't Vayaminu come first? Shouldn't you have faith in God and then God saves you? Or as you wait for God to save you and then that gives you your faith? Seemingly, to me, a little bit out of order. That one I'll leave you as a, as a question. As a question. Vayiru ha'am Hashem. Who came back? Vayar Yisrael. So the Zohar Kadosh on our Parsha. Zohar Kadosh says something amazing. Did you ever hear the rabbi under the chuppah? I'm on the rabbi team. The rabbi under the chuppah, you know, in a place where the rabbi says a few words, there are places where chas v'shalom, chalila, no speeches. We need more time for the singers to sing the concert. Can't have the rabbi speak. So, but in a place where the rabbi says a few words, the beginning of the chuppah or under the chuppah, so the rabbi will say, you know, we're not only here surrounded by your parents who love you, but the grandparents, the neshamas have come down, they're here, they're present, they're felt, right? For a long time, we didn't know what that meant. You're either at the wedding or you're not at the wedding. But then Corona came and we had all kinds of weddings that had a minion of people there and your parents and your grandparents, they're present even though they're not physically here on Zoom. On Zoom. So we got a much better understanding of what it means someone could be there even when they're not physically there. Corona exposed us to a much more relatable expression of what it means that you could be there even if you're not there. But I want you to know when the rabbi says that, it's not fluff, it's not rabbinic hyperbole. The rabbi's not just digging deep to come up with something that you should know. Your parent who passed away, your grandparent, they're here even though they're not here. The Zohar HaKadosh says it. The Zohar HaKadosh explicitly says it that when a person makes a simcha, their loved ones, the neshama comes down from Shemayim and the neshama is there. The neshama is there. And where does Zohar Kaddish get it from? Our Pasuk, our Parsha. Why does it say, Vayar Yisrael Asayar Agdola? It should say, Vayar B'nai Yisrael. It should say, the Jewish people saw. Why is it Vayar Yisrael? Who's Yisrael? Yankav Avinu. So the Zohar Kaddish says, our Parsha, Dafnun Gimel Aleph. Zok the Zohar, Kodesh Baruch Hu brought Yaakov out of the grave. He woke Yaakov up from his sleep. No, he didn't have to do that because Yaakov Avinu Lomais, Yaakov never died. Yisrael never died. Okay, leave that aside for now. He woke up Yaakov Mikivro from his grave to come to the Simcha of Yisrael. Come, come, you got to check out the Simcha. The sea's going to split. They're going to stand under the chuppah called Har Sinai. V'yeshomim shalorak Yaakov Allah, elagam Avram v'yitzchak. It's not Yisrael, the Jewish people. Then it would say, B'nai Yisrael. Who is it? Who's present? Who did he go get? Who saw the miracles? Who's celebrating the salvation? Yisrael's Yaakov Saba. 
the Zayda, the altar. It's Yaakov Avinu. And once Yaakov came, knew Avram and Yitzchak, Sora, Rivka, Rocha, Valaya, knew the Babas and the Zaydas. Come, come to the Chuppah. Time to wake up. And as Zohar says, Lashitasa Pashas Pinchas, Shakarish Barhu, Oker Sahora Migan Edem, Umivim Itola Simchas Tsetsa Ayem. Zohar Pashas Pinchas, that the Kirish Barhu brings the Neshamas of those who are no longer here. We need to know that. It's not rabbinic hyperbole, it's not exaggeration, it's not drush. We stand under a chuppah and a young person who lost a parent at a young age, a person who desperately wants their grandparents to be there, needs to know they are there. It's not ki'ilu they're there. It's not, oh, they're there, and you know, they're there because we remember them. We're there because they have the talus that's embedded in the chuppah. It's not we're there because you're wearing their special piece of jewelry. They're there. Says the Zohar, the neshama is there. If you don't believe that, you don't believe in the immortality of the soul. People don't die, bodies die. People aren't buried, their body is buried. The soul is immortal. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants the soul to take a trip back down for certain occasions, he can and they can. And says the Zohar and Parsha's Pinchas, they do. And where do we get that from? At Parsha. Vayar Yisrael. It wasn't just B'nai Yisrael, it was Yisrael. Now we have Az Yashir, Remez Tetchias HaMesim, Az, Zakele Van Veyu. We've spoken a lot about this. I want to get to the end of the Parsha. We often don't get to. Vayim Teku Amayim, Perek Tazvav Pasachavhei. Next episode. It's not two minutes after we come out of these miracles. Ten plagues, splitting of a sea. Ababa Zinzedis came back down to celebrate with us. And what happens? All of a sudden, the Torah turns. Pivots right here. It's going to get really bad in Bamidbar, but it begins to pivot. We get to Elim. And what happens there? Fast forward. The man falls from Shamayim. And then what happens? Sorry, before the man. I went too far. What happens to the Jewish people here? Before they get to Elim, I'm sorry. Az Yashir, Miriam, where'd she get the instruments? She brought them out. Why would you bring instruments out? You're being pursued by the oppressor. The sea is in front of you. You're stuck between the rock and hard place. Why would you bring out instruments if you're only on your way to die? Because they had bitachon. Baruch Hashem, the Nashem Tzidkaniyos. They always got it. They get it here. And Miriam leads the women in singing. Good. They go, They go three days. Three days they don't find water. We say you can't go three days without Torah. You can't go three days without learning Torah. You got to learn Torah. No three days without learning Torah. By the way, you can't go three days without Torah. The altar of Kelm says, not just you can't go three days without Torah, because spiritually we would dehydrate, malnourished, just like you can't go three days without water. But rather, he says, the same way that you can't go three days physically without water, you can't go three days physically without Torah. If a person would go three days physically without Torah, physically they would fall. They'd be compromised. So three days. And we couldn't drink the water there because the water was bitter. So here we go. Here's where it pivots. We go from a slave nation who tastes freedom, who live and experience miracles, and all of a sudden when we're out and we have miracles, what happens right away? We complain. What are we going to drink? What are you going to drink? A minute ago you were making bricks, building pyramids. A minute ago, you were suffering a genocide. Now, what are we going to drink? So they cried to Hashem. Hashem showed him a tree. He threw it into the water. The water became sweet. And there, at Mara, Hashem gave a round of mitzvahs. He gave Chodesh HaZelachem, Rosh Chodesh gave. Now he gave Shabbos, Kibbut Aveim, a little machlok is exactly what he gave, but he gave a certain small round of mitzvos. Sham sam mishpat, here in Mara he gave him mitzvos. And he said, good, if you listen, everything's going to be good. The small preview of mitzvos that I gave you, do them all be good and well, and I will not visit upon you all the things I gave in Egypt. Because I am Hashem, your Rofei. 
What's going on over here? So I want to tell you something I've told you before, and I want to tell you something I never knew or saw ever before. The thing I saw before that I love telling you every year, it's one of my favorites, is the Kotzker. The word kimarim heim. They were bitter. They is a pronoun. What was bitter? Simple understanding of the, of the text is, what was bitter? The water. They got tamar, they drank the water, it was bitter, they complained. But the Kotzker says, kimarim heim. Haim is not talking about the water. What is Haim talking about? B'nai Yisrael. They were bitter. When you're bitter, everything tastes bitter. When you're sweet, everything tastes sweet. But if you see the world through bitter glasses, if you're bitter and miserable and farbissena, then everything will make you bitter. Then you'll taste and you'll see everything is bitter. We wrote about recently in the weekly, the missing tile syndrome. The missing tile syndrome is that there is a psychological, a psychological propensity that we walk into a room and all the ceiling tiles are there and they're all clean and they're all beautiful and they're all perfectly arranged and one tile is missing. So we are naturally drawn, our eyes, not to all the tiles, the mosaic that is there, our eyes naturally drawn to the tile that is missing. And what's true physically for what our eyes are drawn to is true metaphysically and spiritually and emotionally, we tend to be drawn to the thing and complain about it. Instead of commenting and praising and expressing gratitude for all the tiles that are in place, instead what do we do? We complain for all the missing tiles that are not there. We tend to complain for the missing tiles. They were bitter. What was bitter? The people, not the water. That is the Kutzker. We've shared the Kutzker many times before. But now I want to tell you, not a Kutzker. Now I want to tell you, Otsuplos Torah quotes another interpretation. And I never saw this before. Otsuplos Torah has another interpretation. It says the following. The Zohar Kadr says, Parshas Nasa. Dover Pella, everything in here he writes is a Dover Pella, because it is a Dover Pella. It's wondrous, it's wild, it's amazing. You know, the last thing the Egyptians did to destroy the Jewish people on their way out of Egypt was to plant a seed into the men's minds. You escaped, you got out, you're on your own, you've been freed and liberated. Good, enjoy, but just know that your children aren't yours, they're ours. That we had adulterous affairs with your wives and that your children are not yours, they're ours. God will never dwell upon you. You'll never build a holy, sacred nation. You'll never be worthy to stand at our Sinai because you need to know that while you were busy baking the bricks, we were with your wives and the children you think are yours are not yours, they're ours. That's what the Zara Kadr says. Taka, that might be the most heinous thing that they did. Could there be anything worse? Almost as bad as physically assaulting and beating would be to plant that in the mind of the Jew on their way out. I never saw this. This is a magnificent interpretation of the Psukim we just read. What happens here? The water is bitter. Moshe throws something, an ingredient, into the water. They drink the water, and everything's okay. Does that remind you of anything? Does the Torah give us something where there's suspicion? You make a mixture with water, you put something in the water, and when you drink it, it reveals and it resolves to let you know the truth and that everything's okay. What does that remind you of? It's a whole new way of rereading this entire episode. It's not that they were bitter and they complained. And they, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu have to deprive them of decent drinking water? He got them this far. Why did he make them dehydrate? No, 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 no. HaKadosh Baruch Hu did a favor. He created a circumstance. This is the very first episode of the, of the Mesota, the Mayim Ararim, the bitter water. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted to exonerate husbands and wives towards each, other's, towards each other beyond a shadow of a doubt. So there would be no doubt. There would be no doubt. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is willing to allow his own name, his holy ineffable name, to be erased so that there can be shalom bias between a husband and wife. So a whole new way of reading these psukim, which were alluded to. It's meduyak in the psukim. 
Moshe throws something in, there's an ingredient, it's a mixture, it's with water, it's bitter, and now it resolves something. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful new interpretation? Okay, you're not as impressed as I am. Kola machala. What is this machala that I'm not going to place on Mitzrayim? Perek tesvav, pasachavav. Keep the smattering of mitzvahs, this preview of mitzvahs. Obey them, follow them, listen to them, and do them, and I will not visit you with a machala. What was the machala? The machala was a hardened heart and a lack of amuna in Hashem. We tend to think that the machala, what is the machala? The, the ten plagues, the suffering, but it's not. The worst machala that the Mitzrayim suffered is to live in a cloud and a cloak of darkness, to not know or see Hashem, to live without a feeling of Hashem in their life, and that is what he was avoiding. Okay, now the Otsar Plus HaTorah has a whole section on the man. Because the Pasha goes there, they didn't have anything to eat, they're in the Midbar. Kishborchel makes the man fall from heaven daily, no supply, no knowledge where your next meal, it fell daily. Why? To build a resilience and to build a faith. So, is there a minag to say this davka yom shlishi, Tuesday? Is there such a segula? Is there such a segula to say parshas aman yom shlishi on, on Tuesday? So, there's a young Talmachacham of Aryeh Minkov who put together an essay on the subject and he found the following. There is no makor. There is no makor. It's traced back to Rav Menachem Mendel of Rimenov. Rav Menachem Mendel of Rivenov is the source. But even that, we don't have a source that he said. The Dafki should say it on Tuesday. Sefer Parshas Aman, Lo Nimtza Makar Musmach Leminagzeh. There is no reliable source for specifically saying it on the Yom Shlishi. Now, the Shulchan Aruch does say to say Parshas Aman. Shulchan Aruch writes, Tov Lomar Parshas Akeh, the Parshas Aman, Aseris Adibros, Bechol Yom. Shulchan Aruch quotes to say these sections. The Akedah, the Man, and the Seres Adibros, which are not instituted as part of davening. Shulchan Aruch quotes, worthwhile to say them every day. And the Mishnah in Orchaim Simen Aleph. And the Mishnah Burosif, Kot Yud Gimel brings, the Makor for this is the Yerushalmi. It says, Parsha Saman, if you say Parsha Saman, Lo Yismatu Mizonosov. You're not going to be diminished, you won't be lacking in your Parnasa. Now I would argue, what does the Mishnah Burah mean? What is the Shulchan Aruch saying? It's not a skula, chevra. What do you think? If you're Machal Shabbos and you're Bola Arayas and you're cheating business and you're a manuvel, but you mumble Parshas Aman every day, your Parnas is going to flow? You think if you're an atheist or an agnostic, you're a kaifer, you're a Russia Marusha, but you mumble the Parshas Aman every day from a klaf, with a niggin, with a shnai mikra vechatargum, you think that all your Parnas is going to flow? No, what the Shulchan Aruch means is, if you say Parshas Aman every day, you're going to remember every day that Klai Yisrael didn't know where it was going to come from. Oh, lo and behold, it fell from Mishamayim. So too, I'm nervous. I don't know where my next client, where my next deal, where my next transaction will come from. It's going to fall from Mishamayim, just like the man. Reading Parshas Aman is not an ends. It's a means of Amuna and Bitochan and Tveikas. What will earn the Parnasa is the genuine Amuna, Tveikas and, and, and Bitochan. You can't leave that part out. You can't say Pitamakturus from a cloth. You can't say Parshas Amun from a cloth. You can't do these, you can't put a key in your challah and think, oh, Parnas is now going to flow. I could do and be whoever I want. I'll be ruthless in business. I'll cheat and steal in business. I'll knock a Kanshem out of the equation in business. I'll have now Muna and Bitachon, but I put a key in my challah. But I said Parshas Amun. Now it's going to flow. Of course not. It's ridiculous. It's not at all. Not at all. The whole custom to say it that does trace to the Shulchan Aruch, though it's associated with Menachem Mendel of Rimenov, we have no source for doing it on Tuesday specifically. Shulchan Aruch says, say Parshasaman every day. So when you panic and when you're afraid, where's my Parnasa? Where's my next meal going to come from? No, you're not the first who felt that way. Others did, and it falls from Shemaim. It comes from Hashem. Now we do have a Sefer, Noik Ton Yosef, that does quote to say it, Shnaim Mikra Echatargum. You, like me, probably got 100 people in your WhatsApp and your email sent you a PDF, There is a source, it claims to quote it, going all the way back to Sefer Ayasha Ravenu Tam, though we have no Rishonim who acknowledge that, and in our version of the Sefer Ayasha Ravenu Tam, he never said it. Did he say it? Did he not say it? It doesn't matter. Say the Parshas Amun. Say it today, Tuesday. Say it yesterday, Monday. Say it tomorrow, Wednesday. Say it this week, Parshas B'Shalach. Say it next week, Parshas Mishpatim. Say it. 
Say it over and over again. Yisro Mishpatim. Say it over and over again. Say it every week. But the goal of saying it is not an end to itself. The goal of saying it is to see and feel Hashem in our life because that's what's going to make the difference. Okay, let's see a couple quick ideas on Parshat Amman, on the Man, and then we will call it a day. So everyone can go say Parshat Amman. From a klaf, He's got great stuff. You got to imagine, those are plus Torah is going to have fun stuff on the Man. So let, rapid fire, let's do some, some quick ones. Yaakut Shemoni wants the following. It says, I'm going to make Lechem fall from Shemayim. What word is extra in that Pasuk? Again, Perak Tezayim Pasuk Dal, top of page 384. I'm going to make it rain for you, bread from the heaven. What word is extra? Lachem. What do I need the word Lachem? I'm going to make it rain from heaven. So the Yalkut Shimoni learns from here, you know what? Lachem no saying, Velo lachal uma velashon. Shemizkansu kol umas lesposmen aman afilamashu, enan yecholen. If the non Jewish people would try to gather the man, they couldn't. And the Medrash Tanchuma adds, if the Jews tasted from the man, what did it taste like? Anything they wanted. If a non Jew tasted from it, what did it taste like? Kale. Doesn't say that, but it means that. Umas haolam lo yichon lito mastam aman. Im tamu asaman haye befiem kigidin marim. It tasted like kale. It tasted like a bitter, coarse, poor texture, miserable punishment of a food. It tasted like kale. Where did he learn that from? This extra word. Hinini mamtir lachem lachem. The man is a gift for the Jewish people, not for everyone else. You know what fell with the man? Perik Tezayim Pasakeh, the next Pasak. On Friday, So Gemara Yuma Daf says, you know what fell with the man? A Shabbos robe. Shabbos robe fell with the man. What else were the women going to wear Friday night when they read Mishpacha, while their husbands were in shul? So you know what fell with the man? Every Friday, a new Shabbos robe, a new jewelry, a new tie, a new tishbekisha. Every Friday fell Malbushim. Malbushim fell. Not during the week. During the week was the miracle that it never got old, it never got ruined, it never, they never grew out of it. That was what we read later, Sefer Bamidbar, the miracle that it grew with them. But for Shabbos, just like a double portion of man fell for Shabbos, the Gemara and the Medr say, special Shabbos clothing. A Jew has to have special clothing for Shabbos. Mishnah quotes, a different belt, different shoes, different talus than you normally wear, different suits, Shabbos suits. We don't wear the weekday clothing, clothing on Shabbos. And where do you see that? Because for Shabbos, different clothing fell together with the mun. Another question. What bracha did they say on the mun? What bracha? So the Sefer Chassidim, Rabbi Yudah Chassid, Alamanu Yimavarchan Hanosin Lechem Min HaShamayim. They made a bracha before they ate the man. Instead of Hamotzi Lechem Min HaAretz, Hanosin Lechem Min HaShamayim. That was the bracha. But the Bnei Yisachar, the Helech Bnei Yisachar says, when they ate the man, they did not make a bracha. Kasev Hashem Rabbeinu Menachem Azari Mipano, Shalasid Lov B'Sudah Shaliviyasan, Yasan, Ein Sudah Belo Lechem, and we too will not make a bracha. They didn't make a bracha. It was not food from the ground. It wasn't ordinary food. They didn't make an ordinary bracha. But there are many opinions about this. Say, Chassidim, we said, The Merkavis HaMishnah, the Mechilta, they would make a bracha based on, as a bracha shalamacha shalav chashav. Depends what you ate. If you had steak, you made a shahakal. If you had a sandwich, you made a hamotzi. If you had kale, you made a hagomel, ashiyotzer, whatever you make. <laughs> and kale. If you had an apple, you had in mind it should be an apple. That's how I really feel. A bore pre'etz. So Merkavah Mishnah said the bracha corresponded with what you wanted it to taste like. Chaim Palaji in a Sefer Nevesh Chaim writes, Ahayam Kitzfichis Dvash, the bracha was Mine Mizonos. But nevertheless, if you were Kovea Suda, it was Hamotzi. Bnei Saschari said, no bracha. The Ben Ishchai, Mamtir Lachamina Shamayim, the Chemdis Yisrael, quotes the Svarno, Bore Priyadama. All kinds of questions. What bracha do you say? And is there enough gamina for us? Where did they make a Malava Malka from? 
There's a chiv of Malava Malka. So where'd they make a Malava Malka from? What happened? Could you make the, what if you wanted the man to taste like pork? You've always been curious about bacon. So you'll have in mind, you want the, the man to taste like bacon. Could it? The man could taste like anything you wanted. Could it taste like bacon? So the chuvas, aparkasta de anya, his topic al derek drush v'kabal can it taste like basar b'chalav? They were in Egypt and they watched the Egyptians have cheeseburgers. The man fell and finally this was their chance. They were curious. What does a cheeseburger taste like? So he says, There is no iser basar b'chalav if there's no basar b'chalav. You could think about whatever you want it to think about. As long as it is not there, you're okay. And we find this elsewhere because the Gemara says in Chulan, Alta was a wife of a great sage, said whatever we have in a prohibited state, we have a permissible version of it. Basar b'chalav is asr, but you're allowed to eat the udder of the cow. And the udder of the cow is so saturated with milk that even though you eat it, it's ke'ilu, you add basar b'chalav. We eat power of cheeseburgers, right? Power of cheese. We have all kinds of, we have, uh, what are they called? Bur- impossible burgers. They're not bad. We have impossible burgers. The Gayona Ashas disagrees. So could it taste like something else or could it not taste like something else or what about Shabbos? He says here, Gemar Yuma says, The Chida says, just like the double portion fell on Friday, you're not allowed to cook on Shabbos. This was your food. You had to decide what you wanted it to taste like on Friday. You couldn't decide on Shabbos, says the Chida. It was a violation of the Isser Mesakein to fix the man according to what you wanted it to taste like on Shabbos. You had to think about it beforehand. Was the man a solid or a liquid? If it was a salad, how did you get your Starbucks fill? Could you make the salad taste like a liquid by thinking about a liquid? Who thinks about any of these things? Otsar plus Torah. He has a lot more. We're out of time. Tomorrow morning, 10 minutes of meeting. Living with Emuna. We're on for all of our shirim this week. Stay happy, stay healthy, and stay, ho- and stay happy, healthy, and holy.